Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Our church is a part of, like I said, called Acts 29. And so uh, what, what some of you might not realize is this, is that uh, 3% of our giving annually goes towards church planning all over the globe. Another 7% goes towards church planning as well. So Acts 29 exists to plant churches. And we believe that is the best way to spread the gospel around the world. And so it is, we, we are the most globally diverse, if not the only globally diverse church planting network that there is. And so the money that comes in here helps do that. In fact, we raised almost $18,000 last year for a church in Barranquilla, Colombia named Rescued Mission Church that was able to help and bless them. And so, uh, so that's, that's part of what you guys are contributing for, uh, or your finances are contributing to. And so thank you for that. I'm encouraged with our network. I'm encouraged with where our network is at. I'm encouraged with where our network is going. And I want you guys to hear that from me. There's five churches in Japan, there's 25 churches in Canada, in the emerging regions there's 10, in Europe there's 88, in Latin America 49, in Brazil 170 churches are being planted through Acts 29. In South Africa there's 18, in U.S. Midwest 93, in the North Atlantic 78, in South Central U.S. 119, in U.S. Southeast 124, in U.S. West, which is the network we're part of west of the Rockies, is 132 churches. There's several more, in fact, lots more that are in the, uh, the, the, the candidacy process. And so that's us, that's the network we're a part of, that's what we exist for. And I believe what breeds life and breathes life into the church is being a church that's focusing on planting churches and raising up church planters and seeing and being part of God doing that work. And so uh, I'm encouraged, like I said, with where our network's at. And so I just wanted to give you guys a quick update on that for me. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to do things a little bit different. It's going to be a very short sermon, and then we're going to go into some Q&A. Uh, dur during the sermon, I want to be able to do something I haven't done yet. Uh, I, I went on a sabbatical, and we did uh, what was called a hybrid sabbatical, which was two weeks off and two weeks on over the past few months. And so I want to tell you guys why and how that was, what led up to that, and, and tie that in with, with the sermon today, and then also just give a little bit of vision of where we're going from here before we bring everyone up here. And so whether you're listening at home today on the 4th, or whether you're here in person, I'm honored to be here to preach God's word and share with you guys a little bit about what's coming. So with that said, I'm just going to be honest, it's going to be a little raw and a little emotional, just because there's been this season behind also the current season in, and I think part of the season ahead is just going to be pretty emotional as well. You guys will see some of that um, as, as we get in. Um, I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Mark today. I love the Gospel of Mark. The early church depicts the different Gospels um, through, through imagery. And so Mark's Gospel was depicted as a lion because the lion comes like Jesus comes pouncing on the scene. Okay, Matthew was a human face as the teacher. Um, John's Gospel was the eagle. And then Luke's gospel was the ox as Christ bears our burdens. And so today we're looking at Mark. When Mark gets into his gospel, Mark goes for it. It's like, we're not wasting any time. Mark's just wanting to rock and roll. Where we're going to be at today is specifically Mark chapter four, verse 35. And we're going to be looking at Jesus calming the storm. If you guys want more context for this, um, this is a book that our church has preached through in the past. I believe that's uh, somewhere online that you can look for that and, and get more context. Because like I said, today we're going to be cruising through it. So it's not going to be real in depth. Um, but just to give you guys a little bit of context of what's going on to uh, uh, what's going on in this passage before we get in. The Sea of Galilee, 
It is the lowest freshwater sea on earth. I don't know if you guys know, it is the lowest freshwater sea on earth. So it's 700 feet below sea level. The mountains around it rise to 2,500 feet. And so what happens with the Sea of Galilee is these winds that, that is cool wind comes over the mountains and drops down into the sea where the, uh, where the warmer, lighter air is rising, which creates tumultuous storms and they can happen pretty quickly. So uh, where we get today is in the text, that's what's happening. A storm comes on quick. And so with that, let's pray and we'll dive in. Father, we thank you for this day. This day our country celebrates is Independence Day. God, we thank you and praise you for a country that we can gather, that we can preach and share the gospel, that we can sing songs and hymns. God, that we can glorify you out loud as we gather together. And we thank you for that. Something I take for granted, I think something we take for granted. But God, we ultimately thank you for this, that our ultimate freedom was purchased for us by your son. And that our ultimate allegiance is pledged to the King Jesus. Let us not forget that. And let us remember we have an eternal home, that our, that our hope isn't in the state of this good country that we live in. Our hope is in the King who secures and holds all things together at all times. And we thank you for that. You brought us into your family, Jesus, through what you've done, through what you've accomplished, through what your, uh, you have finished. And as my brother Nathan said earlier, we are not an independent people that, uh, uh, God, we are primarily so dependent upon you for our every breath, but ultimately for your grace. We are broken, sinful people that need your grace radically, God. Help us today. Those that are hurting in the room, those that are hurting in line, minister. Use the Q&A in such a powerful way that, 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 um, that brings unity. God, let us point everything back to your son because that's what your word does. Help us to do that faithfully today. Help me through the power of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Mark chapter four. This is the word of God from Mark. Four, verse 35. On that day... When evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? I normally don't do this. In fact, I don't know if I've ever done this. But I'm curious to know, if you have gone through a storm, something difficult in the last year, just something difficult. Remember, you might know other people in the room, you're like, I don't have cancer, they stood up, I, I don't know whether they stand or not. Would you stand up if you've gone through something difficult in the last year? We're not gonna ask you to do anything else other than that, I'll have you sit right back down. But if you've gone through something difficult in the last year, would you stand up? All right. Look around, people. You may be seated. I think what we forget is that everyone shows up on Sunday mornings broken. Sinners, 
as Martin Luther would say, at the same time, simultaneously sinners, simultaneously justified. Simuluses et peccator. That's the Latin phrase. People go through various storms. Here is what's interesting about this passage. You might be in a storm right now. When is the last time you ever woke up and you're like, Lord, bring me a storm today? I don't pray that. I'm not praying that. (laughs) When's the last time you ever felt a storm was convenient that was there or present in your life? Normally not. You're like, now's the season I could go ahead and go for a storm. There's this big theological word called providence, okay? The Reformed community loves to throw it around, especially the Calvinists. God is all sovereign. Meticulous providence. He's predetermined, knows everything. You, a storm hits reformer's life like my own. I'm like, I'm, I, I live more like an open theist that maybe God doesn't know the outcome, that he doesn't know the future, doesn't know what's going on. And then it's all up to me to figure it out. It's like, an, it's an accident. Well, you have to see first and foremost, Jesus knows all things and he's leading them into a storm. And sometimes we have to realize this in life, that Christ leads us into the storms. And, and, and he leads us into really difficult places. Why? Because it's in the storms where he's going to do a work. It's in the storms where he's going to strip us of our pride, strip us of our dependence in ourselves. And it's actually by the storms in life that Christ oftentimes saves us from dying to our self-righteousness, from dying to our pride, from dying to our dependence on ourselves, from dying to looking to ourselves. In fact, God sometimes brings storms into our lives to help save our marriage, though it seems like it's really difficult for it to save our families. God allows storms to come into our life so that he can do a work of stripping, of prying, self-reliance and self-dependence upon ourselves to take us back to the one place that we can actually look for true self-dependence and reliance, which is on him. But we don't like storms. (laughs) I, I don't like storms. And so let me tell you a little bit about my storm. So I've been in ministry for about 10 years. Last year was a difficult one. I think difficult for all pastors. I think Crossway said uh, article recently that about 250 pastors are leaving still as a result of the pandemic. You add everything else that happened in Oregon last year to that. for, For one, if your marriage survived COVID last year and you're a new, newly married couple, praise God. Because it was like, that's the most pressure cooker you can put your marriage in for like the first year of marriage, right? <clears throat> so you had 10 years of marriage to everything going on in our culture last year, from racial reconciliation to the f- literally organ being on fire, to the pandemic, to mass, to everything else. And in the midst of all that, maybe some of you guys know this, we, we took in a foster son. And the foster son was with us for seven months. There was no parents around, just to give you guys, there were no visitation. We thought this was our boy, okay? And I read into everything. Like, I always wanted a boy with like the name with an R, so we can be a double R, because I'm a double R, my dad's a double R, whatever, all these things. Our foster son's, uh, uh, his middle name was the same as my dad's. I'm like, this is it. And then seven months came and things changed. I've had a reoccurring nightmare that I've shared with you guys that my kids, my daughters are crying out to me and I can't do anything to get to them. That is my biggest, I think now my biggest fear in life. My girls cry for me and I feel helpless. There's those dreams where it's like everything you do, it's like you can't move. Hate those. 
Seven, or after seven months, that dream became a reality. We dropped them off. Great family that, that, that we built a friendship with that we love. They might even be listening this morning. But I've never felt, I don't think in my entire life, more helpless than I did in that moment. It's just the truth. Because as we drove away, we watched them cry. And I, and I was like, there's nothing I can do besides cry. And, and the car was just silent on the way home. And from that moment on, my wife could tell you, I've spiraled a bit. And I would like to say that I think that I'm through a lot of it, but I still feel like I'm probably in the middle of the storm. There's some really exciting stuff that's happened and that's, uh, um, that's happened as of recently that's confidential that I can't share yet. But when you add that to everything that was going on, I felt like a failure in every area of my life. I feel like I couldn't do enough to help anyone. And then I was constantly failing. And I just got bitter and angry. I got angry towards God. I don't know if you felt like that. I didn't want to tell people because I didn't want their theological responses that I know were correct because I preach them from up here to tell you these things. And I'm like, now you're going to have to tell me these things. I was just angry and bitter. The people that weathered that the most have been our staff and our elders. I apologize to our staff this last week. I'll apologize to our elders and apologize to our people right now. Any hurt and frustration that I've caused, I'm sorry. I want to own that. I want to walk in that. I want to walk in repentance. I want to walk in faith. But let me say this. This is the only thing that has brought me some, sort, uh, so, some sense of comfort in this season. I was on a walk uh, during one of the sabbaticals. And, and something like this has come to me before, but it just came, it like hit me while I was walking. Is sometimes we view what happened at the cross as some transactional business deal, right? What, what was my comfort is this, is that in Jesus's darkest and most horrific moment in his life, he cried out these words from the cross, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sambachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so God the Father knows what it's like to not be able to be there and provide his love and comfort for his son in the darkest moment of his life. But here's where I'm saying I'm still in the storm, but here's the difference. People have asked throughout church history, why Polycarp, why Tertullian, why Justin Martyr died like with this heroicness? Like, like, why were they so heroic? Like, I think it was Polycarp that said, don't worry about tying me down. You can burn me alive. You don't have to tie me down. I'm not going anywhere. Peter cried out to his wife. He was like, remember the Lord as she went to be crucified. Then he historically, we know, was crucified upside down. Why did these guys die with like this heroic attitude and Christ died screaming in agony and it looked like he was, because Christ was going through something that we will never have to face. Jesus wasn't sweating this storm because a greater storm was brewing. The storm where he would have to face God's wrath, God's punishment for every sin that had ever been committed. Think about how much it hurts when someone sins against you. It's painful. Now think about that, bearing that for all the sins of all humanity for all time. That's what Christ was doing while at the same time being forsaken and abandoned as he cried out by his father. There's, some, there's an eternal relationship and a lot going on there. There was a cosmic storm, a cosmic war. Why? Because Christ went to war in this cosmic setting, bearing the wrath of God, bearing the sin so that we could be at peace for all eternity with God. Here's the difference. The reason why Polycarp, Tertullian, Justin Martyr, and these guys, even Peter, could die with a heroic sense is because they were not abandoned in their storm. 
God would not forsake them. God would not leave them. God, God, God would never walk away from their side. They had what Jesus didn't. They had God's very presence with them in the midst of their storm, comforting them, saying, I'm right here with you, loving you. I will never go anywhere. Jesus didn't have that liberty. He didn't have that. That was forsaken so that we could have that, so that in the midst of our storms, we don't ever have to question this. Is God bringing punishment to me in my life? Is God abandoning me? Is he forsaking me? Please, if that's your train of thought now, I would just encourage you, stop. If you're a child of God, God, by his grace, brings storms in our life to do something that we have no clue of what he's doing, but I do know this for a fact, that he does an incredible work in our heart, stripping, prying, refining, so that we can look more like Christ, but so that we can rest more in what Christ has done for us. Father, I thank you that you allowed your son to go through what he went through. I praise you that Christ, that in the darkest moment of your life, that you know what it's like to cry out, to want to be held, but you allowed that to be forsaken so that we could be held. Thank you for the doctrine of justification God, that reconciles us back into your arms, that we can know that the storms in our life are not the work of your punishment, but the work of your love for your children. In Jesus' name, amen.